morning. <clears throat> I have some of that same uh, nasal sound that Taylor has. I actually like the way I sound to myself when I sing, when I have, when I have a cold. <laughs> it just sounds richer in some way. So <clears throat> I want to get rid of the cold, but I really don't want to get rid of that singing voice. So I'm kind of torn. I'm Gary Brooks, the lead pastor here at West Hills, and just want to welcome you all. It's always good to be gather with the people of God, with the saints, and uh, don't you appreciate Donnie's heart? I just, it was, it was so good. I've been able to get to know him just a little bit over the last few weeks, and, and how God provides, you know, God's timing is so, so wonderful. You know, the Lord says, I will build my church, and that's exactly what he's doing. And so even as a church goes through a transition, um, God is the one who gets all the glory for building, designing, crafting, assembling the right people, putting the right people in the right places. So praise God. Uh, he deserves all the glory for that. Today is the end of a five-message series, Why You Need to Be in God's Word in 2019. What, what Pastor Will and I are trying to do through this series, what we've been trying to do is, at the beginning of this year, just really, really convince you that you are at a tremendous disadvantage if you do not meet with God every day in His book. Tremendous disadvantage. Uh, the disadvantage of not being someone who is honoring Him, getting to know Him better, to love him more deeply, to learn about his heart and his purposes and his, his plan of redemption and especially getting to know his son, the Lord Jesus. And then all of the promises, we sang about the promises this morning, or yes in, yes in him because he's faithful. And, and not getting to know the one who designed life and shows us how to live he knows exactly how you should live, and he wants the very best for every one of us in this room. And so why would we put ourselves at such a disadvantage by saying, I, do, I really don't need to meet with him. I really don't need to listen to him. I can do this on my own. I, I, I've got enough savvy, enough worldly wisdom, enough self going on inside of me that I can pull this thing off. And you all know that you can't. You know, we fall flat so many times. At least I do. I don't know about you, but boy, I sure do. I mean, I am weak. I am insufficient. I am limited. And God is strong and capable and able and sufficient in every possible way. So that's why we're doing this series. Now, the verses I've selected for this morning for this last message are in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And the reason I picked these verses for this morning is because this is the God that you are going to meet in the Bible. Uh, these verses are spoken, these words are spoken by Jesus, and uh, it gives you just a, 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 a taste for the character, the heart of the God who wants you to know him better. And at the same time, I wanted to tie it in with a promise that I made to you several months ago, and that was a concern that I had for God's people today, American Christians, to 
wrestle with the whole concept of Sabbath rest. And I'm going to explain why that is so important uh, for us in the, the society and culture in which we live today as the people of God. So we're going to merge those two, two things together. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, please stand to honor the reading of God's word. Jesus said to his disciples, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Lord, we thank you for We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a God who desires to give your people rest. And so we confess to you this morning our great, great need as as people who lack rest. People who seem to be restless much of the time. Speak to us today, we pray. Speak to our hearts, to our lives, to our circumstances as the Lord of life, as the Lord of Sabbath, we confess that we need you. We pray in Christ's name. God's people agreed by saying, amen. Please be seated. These words spoken by Jesus here in Matthew 11, for me, are some of the most tender, compassionate, loving, understanding, inviting words in all the four Gospels, because they say so much to us about who he is and about what he desires for his people. At the same time, they are some of the most confident, insistent, authoritative words that you find Jesus speaking. And so you merge those together and you realize why we need to hear this kind of word from our Lord. We are people in need of rest. We are a restless people. Not just restless, restless. People in search of rest, people who lack rest. It's been like this since... The Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve lost the rest that they had with God in the garden, they lost it. And ever since that day, men and women have been searching for rest. Now, the irony is that we have available to us so many means of finding rest in the day in which we live and the culture and society of which we're a part. I mean, if you need a good night's sleep, just go out and get a sleep number bed and a bottle of melatonin or a glass of wine, whatever your preference is. You need to relieve physical stress, massage envy, massage lux, massage therapists. You can even own your own massage chair, you know, might cost you two or three thousand dollars, but we have spas and float tanks, we have retreat centers, vacation resorts, we can go on cruises, we can listen to soothing music with our noise-canceling headphones. We have everything. 
Everything imaginable for giving us rest. And yet we lack it. We're still restless. We are a weary, burdened, maxed out, stressed out people. We are relentlessly driven to produce, to excel, to succeed, to perform, and then if, once we perform, to outperform. Mark Sayers writes these words, Our smartwatch-driven age can measure every heartbeat, every step, even the quality of our sleep, but it cannot measure the health of our souls. Our limitless freedom has paradoxically imprisoned us in an achievement culture of constant measurement. Continually feeling that we have to measure ourselves. And when you're constantly measuring yourself, you can never rest. See, many today are physically exhausted, emotionally drained, relationally taxed, spiritually spent. Our tanks seem to be empty more than they're full. Is that a safe statement to make? It just seems as if our tanks are generally more empty than they are full. And we're Christians. We just can't seem to find a way to conquer our restlessness. And so we're going to use Jesus' words in a few minutes for Matthew 11. But I want, to, I want to begin by setting up sort of a bigger picture of rest in the scriptures, if you will. And it begins with the fact that in the Bible, the very first thing that we learn about rest is that God himself rested. God rested. I mean, you go to Genesis... Just to refresh your memory, you might want to turn there, Genesis 1 and 2, familiar chapters. Genesis 1 is all about God creating, God creating everything in six days, and wherever, uh, that's, a, that's a topic for another day, whether it was six literal days or six extended epics of time, that's not the issue for this morning. This morning is what's going to happen after he does all of the creating. But, uh, you know, day one, let there be light. Day two, let there be an expanse in the heavens. Uh, day three, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. Let dry land appear. Day four, let there be lights in the expanse, the sun and the moon. Uh, day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let the, let the sky be filled with all kinds of creatures. And God bless them. Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And then day six, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God blessed them. And then you get to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then you get to chapter 2 and it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work 
that he had done in creation. It wasn't because God was tired that he rested. We know that. The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. So, and that's not why he rested. No, he rested because he was ceasing from all the work that he had done because it was finished. It was complete. And by the way, you get over to Jesus in the New Testament, and when he finishes the work of redemption on the cross, what does he say? It is finished, complete. Can't add, it, add anything else to it. And then it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so here with the work of creation, it's finished, it's done. God ceases. And so he blesses the seventh day. It was a day that God set aside from all the other days of creation. It wasn't a day for creating. It wasn't a day for doing. It wasn't a day for producing. No, the seventh day was a day for stepping back and enjoying all that he had done. Don't you ever do that? Don't you ever do a project? Maybe it's a creative project. Maybe it's a renovation project. Maybe it's a, you know, putting on some event or whatever it is. And you work and you work and you toil and you labor. And then you step back and you just enjoy what you've done. That's God. God did the greatest project in the history of the universe by creating the universe. And he took the seventh day just to step back and enjoy it. I guess I would say it was a day for God to honor himself. The seventh day was a day for God to honor himself. And then he's going to invite us into that in just a few minutes. I like to picture it being a day when all of heaven's angels were held in awe over all that God had done. You see, they would have been the first of God's creatures to behold our sun in all of its brilliance and the 200 billion other suns that God spread across the universe. They would have been the first to behold the moon shining at night and the, the Alps and the Pyrenees and the Rockies and the oceans filled with creatures of all shapes and sizes, trees, shade trees, fruit trees. Um, they were the first to behold it all. And then man and woman, Adam and Eve, they were the first to see Adam and Eve walking the face of the earth and probably wondering, how is all this going to turn out? And on the seventh day, when it was all completed, all of the angelic host would have had all the more reason, as if they needed more reason, all the more reason to worship God than they had before. And so the seventh day, really, I see it as the culmination of creation. The other six days were leading up to the seventh day. Now, some would argue that the culmination of creation was the sixth day with the creation of Adam and Eve. God didn't bless the sixth day. He blessed the seventh day. If you, if you, if you honor the sixth day, that's, that's man-centered. Well, surely the culmination of creation was Adam and Eve. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The culmination of creation is God. And so the seventh day is to be honored for all that he has done. It was the final act in the play. Which leads to our second observation about rest. Number two, the Lord consecrated one day every week just for resting. 
The Lord set aside one day every week just for resting. By the way, you know, do you know there's some, there have been a few times in history, one that I read about, 1793, France tried to create a 10-day work week, or 10-day week. You work for nine days, and you, they tried to increase productivity. Um, so they thought, well, if we, can, if we can just change, and so they changed calendars, they changed, they changed everything having to do with time, and it was a massive failure. Productivity went down, suicides went up. So that was, a, that, was a, that was given up because they violated God's design. Well, the Lord consecrated one day every week just for resting. Now, the first time you run across the word Sabbath, actually, which means to cease, is in Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, the people of Israel have left Egypt. They're making their way to the promised land. They're learning to trust God. And, and, and God actually provides for them in a pretty special way in this chapter. They're grumbling against God. They're grumbling against, against Moses. And so the Lord provides for them bread from heaven. That's the chapter of manna. And God says, every day you're to go out, tell the people to go out and gather manna for the day, roughly one omer or two quarts, about a half gallon of manna per family. Gather it up. That'll be enough bread for the day. It reminds us of the Lord's teaching of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But then he says, don't keep the manna from one day to the next. Because if you keep Tuesday's manna for Wednesday, it will rot. And there'll be worms in it. And so the people were to obey that. And so this whole thing is an act of trust and obedience. Can we trust God to provide tomorrow's manna? Maybe we ought to store up today's manna for tomorrow. Um, will we obey God? Can we take him at his word? Just lots of things going on here. And then you get to verse 23. It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses what was going on, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All this left over on the sixth day, lay it aside to be kept until the morning of the seventh day. And so they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and it didn't stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. Six days, you'll gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. You get over to Exodus chapter 20, where we're given the Ten Commandments. You're familiar with them. <clears throat> Commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall, shall not make for yourself a carved image, idols. Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's commandment number four. Then commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Six, don't murder. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten, don't covet. And what's interesting to me is commandment number four about the Sabbath comes before all those other commandments about murder and adultery and coveting. And also, commandment number four gets a pretty significant paragraph of explanation. Whereas 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, a sentence. Maybe that's coincidental. Maybe that's inconsequential. I don't think it's inconsequential. Otherwise, the Lord would not have had Moses write it the way he did. Now, as we, as we talk about this, let me just assure you, I am talking to you today as a fellow learner, fellow struggler, trying to figure this out, even at the age of 66, wishing I had wrestled with this when I was 26. Nevertheless, glad that I'm wrestling with it now rather than never. Because I believe there is a gift here that God gives to his people and a way for us to honor God that we, as American Christians at least, are fundamentally missing completely. It seems to me that there are two primary mistakes that Christians make with Sabbath. We either add stuff to it and legalize it, or we take stuff away from it and spiritualize it. Now, when you add stuff, and basically, we do this with most all of God's gifts. We have trouble receiving a gift from God and not doing something with it to change it. You know, he gives us the cross, and we feel like we need to add something that we can do to the cross. Um, I'm sorry, this is a gift from God. Sabbath is a gift from God, just as all the other Ten Commandments are gifts from God too, by the way. They're not heavy, mean restrictions. No, they're gifts. They're gifts. And so that's what we, those are the two things that we do with Sabbath. We either add stuff to it, insisting that it has to be Saturday or it has to be Sunday or it has to be Friday at 6 p.m. Or, you know, and then taking what we think should be done on Sabbath and dumping it on other people. This is the way I observe Sabbath, and so this is the way you need to observe Sabbath. And whole denominations have been formed over Sabbath restrictions and regulations. This is what the Pharisees did. I mean, they, they, they piled on this huge burden, hundreds of man-made, man-made traditions to, to, that wrapped around Sabbath. And the people couldn't keep them. And what was ironic is that Sabbath in the first century became more of Sabbath, the Sabbath day became more of a burden than the other six days of the week. Now, the other mistake that we make, and this is the mistake that I think we, our culture, tends to make, 
is to subtract from the teaching of Sabbath and then spiritualize it, where we essentially turn it into an abstract idea that is completely void of of any actual practice or observance. It just kind of becomes a part of the weekend, a day for doing whatever we want to do. With attending church thrown in, I, I got my church service at West Hills done I I did my Sabbath, and now I can spend the rest of the day doing absolutely whatever I want. But without it really ever being seen or observed as a day holy as unto the Lord. A day that's meant to be a blessing for the people of God. And so it's something that it seems to me like we're going to have to wrestle with this because we're not convinced in our heads that it really is a blessing to take one day out of seven and somehow figure out ways to devote it to God and treat it differently than the other six. And friends, let me assure you, I'm not, sitting, I'm not talking about you going home and sitting down in a corner of your closet and just you and your Bible for 18 hours. That's not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about figuring out ways that God would say, I just want you to to take a day a week and treat it differently for my honor and for your good because you are treating every day the same. You're working seven days a week with your smartphones and your laptops and your emails and your everything going on in your life, you just sort of keep working. And that's not what I want for you. I'm your heavenly father and I want, I want, I gave you this as a gift. And so I want to, I think God is saying, I want to wrestle with you in this. I get 21st century America. I understand it better than you understand it. Would you be willing to wrestle with me in this? Figure it out. A day holy to the Lord. John Piper says this. Many professing Christians enjoy sports and television, secular books and magazines, recreation and hobbies and games, far more than they enjoy direct interaction with God in his word or in worship or in reading Christian books or in meditative strolls. You see, you can Sabbath outdoors. You can Sabbath. I can Sabbath walking the shoreline of Lake Michigan in the summertime. You can, you, there, you can Sabbath by going for a bike ride, but on that bike ride, spending time meditatively worshiping and thanking God for his creation. Six days he created. Seems to me like Sabbath should be honoring God for creation. Honoring God for all that he's done. Honoring God for the cross. Honoring God for the Bible. The gospel. Where did I leave off? Therefore, inevitably, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command as a burden and not a blessing. 
And I, and I tend to think that's probably where a lot of us as American Christians are at. We, we, we don't understand how in the world we could enjoy a day of Sabbath. And so just the idea of it becomes a burden to us. So a practical question, what should Sabbath include? And without giving you a legalistic list, that's not my intention. Pastor Gary said, if I do boom, 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 that's, no, that's what I was saying. I just want to give you some ideas of what I think the Lord of the Sabbath would desire for his people. The Lord of the Sabbath, who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, what would he desire for you and for me in keeping Sabbath as a vital element of the rhythm of life? I think God creates a rhythm to our week. You take, out, you take out Sabbath and you lose the rhythm. And it becomes a cacophony of noise and chaos. Here are some, here are some ideas. First of all, remembering. I think it should be a day of remembering God. You know, God's given us a number of ways to remember. You know, he gave us the rainbow to remember his promise to Noah. He gives us the Lord's table. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. He gives us the scriptures so we'll remember. The word remember is found a lot in this book. He wants us to remember. As near as I can tell, the fourth commandment is there to a significant degree, to tell us, remember your creator. Remember your creator. Remember the fact that you're alive today because he created you. Uh, Secondly, uh, reorienting. I think that's the second one. Reorienting. What do I mean by that? For me, it's, it's... taking some time in that day to acknowledge those areas of my life that have been out of sync with God the past week. Lord, show me those things over the last week that just were really out of sync, and that's why I feel, you know, maybe more frazzled than I would need to feel. Um, Show me those areas where I've been moving to the beat of the world's drum and not yours. A.J. Swoboda, and this is a book, by the way, that I, uh, if you want to study and read, this, read more about this, excellent, excellent book, A.J. Swoboda, Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. Excellent book. Swoboda says this, Sabbath is a day of radical self-inquiry to repent and turn from the way of destruction that we've been doing unthinkingly all week long so that we might heal in God's rest. Thirdly, it's a day of receiving. A day of receiving. Humbly receiving from the Lord the gift that he gives to you in Sabbath. Lord, I want to humbly receive this gift. Swoboda, Swoboda again writes in the introduction, the Sabbath is a gift we do not know how to receive In a world of doing, going, and producing, we have no use for a gift that invites us to stop. But that's the original gift, a day to stop, breathe, cease, enjoy, feast. 
this next statement. Don't underestimate the value of doing nothing, of just going along, listening to all the things you can't hear and not bothering. Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I think for me it's also, it needs to be a day of releasing, a day of letting go of those things I've been holding on to that are emotionally taxing. Things that are weighing me down, things that are causing me anxiety that don't need to cause me anxiety. You know, the Lord says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I'm going to take care of you. I know the numbers of the hairs on your head. I know, the, I know how to grow a lily. I know how to give a bird wings. I know how, I know how to feed a raven. Don't worry. You're God's child. Peter says, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And then lastly, it really needs to be and ought to be a day for rejoicing. Just a day for simply delighting in God. Delighting in God. And if if, if that's with the scriptures, with music, with creation, with friends, Sabbathing with friends, that's okay. Sabbathing around a meal, that's okay. But you're, you're giving some intentionality to it. You're trying to figure out ways. How can we take what we normally do, but on this day, use it in a, in a different way to honor God even more? Isaiah 58 is a great, great chapter on two mistakes that the people of God were making. One had to do with fasting. They didn't know how to fast. And so there's a great teaching in Isaiah 58 on fasting. And then Sabbath. They didn't know how to Sabbath. And the Lord says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and if you'll call the Sabbath a delight... And the holy day of the Lord, honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Wow, that's good. That's just so good. If you'll treat my day honorably, don't. Don't go your own way on this day. Don't seek your own pleasure. Don't talk. Take this day and wrap some arms of protection around. Protect this day. Protect it from the world. Protect it from Satan. Protect it from distractions. Let others in your life know that you are wanting to protect one day out of the week for you and your family to Sabbath. And then you've just got to wrestle with those things in your own lives as to what are those things that we need to make, I need to make some changes with. Maybe you shut off all technology for 18 hours. <sighs> Could you survive? Maybe you need to have a conversation with people at work very humbly saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to... This is really an important part of my life. My faith is an important part of my life. Could you work with me in this and help me to figure out ways that I could Sabbath? 
And it might be really instructive for them. John Piper gives a number of suggestions uh, about Sabbath. He says the two of them, you need to accept the gift of one day's rest a week. Humble yourself enough to believe that you need it. Don't be so proud as to think, I don't need this. I don't need this. That's just pride. Be willing to admit that your wealth and your significance and your advancement in life depend far more on God doing what he needs to do than on you doing what you need to do. And then he says, devote one day, be bold enough to devote one day a week to focus your attention on God in a special way. And then figure out what that looks like for you. And I would just say, as you wrestle with this, and I really hope that this is one of those messages that won't just go in one ear and out the other, any more for you than for myself. Um, But as you wrestle with this, and I know, I, I, I get it. Some of you probably would come up to me after the message and say, Pastor Gary, you do not know my work environment. You do not know my boss. I don't. I don't. I guess all I would say is, To what degree have you conditioned yourself this way? Take the boss picture out of it. To what degree have you conditioned yourself this way? To what degree have you convinced yourself that you have to check your emails, you have to respond to them, you have to do some work every day? To what degree have you adopted or acquiesced to our culture and then the last question I would ask, who are you listening to as you, decide, as you decide to not have some form of Sabbath? Who are you listening to? I would just remind you, Satan said to Eve, did God really say? And I think that same tactic is used today when it comes to say. Did God really say that you should set aside one day a week as holy unto me, as holy unto the Lord. One last quote from Piper. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but to dig it out from under the mountain of legalistic sediment and give it to us again as a blessing rather than a burden. It is a day for showing mercy, a day for doing good. It should not be governed rigidly by narrow definitions of what is work and what is not. It is a day to focus on the Lord. And now... Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so it is a day to focus on Jesus. And it's impossible that a day focused on Jesus should be a burden to the believing heart. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. Which leads to my last thought for the morning. The Lord not only gives us rest, friends. He not only calls us to set it one day specifically aside for rest, he is our rest. Christ is my rest. See, it's not the day, but the one who calls you on that day to himself. Come to me. See, it's only in coming to Christ and then coming to him again and again. Maybe one of the, maybe, maybe one of the good things out of Sabbath is if you, if, if you can get into the rhythm of doing this, coming to Jesus and dedicating one day, coming to the Lord one day a week, 
it will have effects on the other six days. It won't be compartmentalized over here. No, it will bleed over and have positive effects on your, on your walk with the Lord on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It will affect how you handle burdens the rest of the week if you have cast them all on the Lord on this day of the week. It's coming to Christ again and again and again. Just remember, Christ does not call you to a religion. He does not call you to a set of rules. He does not call you to a lifestyle. He does not call you even to his church. He doesn't call you to the traditions of men. He calls you to himself. We cannot let that go. He says, come to me, all who labor. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you, re you refuse to come to me that you may have life, let the children come to me. There's that personal call that tells us so, so much about him. And also it tells us so, so much about ourselves. And what we need. We need everything that he is. So hear these words this morning from our Lord's lips as words that are filled with his love for you, individually, personally. Hear those words speaking to, into your life, into your heart. Don't just hear them as words that Jesus uttered. No, make it personal. Come to me, Donnie, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Scott, and I will give you rest for your soul. Make it personal. You've heard me reference the Valley of Vision, a book of Puritan prayers. It is next to my Bible every morning as I meet with the Lord. I want to read you one resting on God. It's, it has a little, uh, little old English in it. There's the word moiling in here. That means working hard. Um, I am toiling and moiling, troubled and distressed, but thou art forever at perfect peace. Thou bringest order out of confusion, and my defeats are thy victories. I come to thee as a sinner with cares and sorrows to leave every concern entirely to thee. Let me live near to the great shepherd. Hear his voice. Know its tones. Follow its calls. Grant me to know that I truly live only when I live to thee, that all else is 
trifling. Abide in me, O gracious God. Pray with me. Would you take a minute, please, just simply to thank the Lord for caring for you the way he does. Thank him for loving you so tenderly. And whatever those things are that are moiling within you, that are causing you to work so hard, would you give those to him? Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. gracious God, Lord of the Sabbath, we praise you, we thank you, we honor you, we confess to you that we have not honored you as we ought, as we ought to have done, we confess that we are learning and wrestling with all of what it means to follow Jesus. Not just this part, but all of it. We confess that we are weak. We're so grateful that you are patient and understanding. We're so grateful that we have a rabbi who teaches us. So, Lord, our prayer this morning as a church would be teach us how to Sabbath to your honor and glory and for our good and blessing. And, Lord, even as we learn and wrestle with this, that you would use this part of our lives as a witness to others that our lives are about you, not about ourselves. We want to honor you. We give you all the thanks and all the praise because you are worthy. You are so worthy. We pray in the matchless name of Christ our Savior.